Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now What's up, and welcome to another exciting edition of Bearded B-Roll. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mike, just two bearded dudes here to chat about all the movies you love, hate, don't mind, or simply never heard of. I heard, like, metal clinking in my kitchen, and I'm like, well, that's the wind hitting my house, causing stuff to rattle around. <sighs> Alright, so, this is our first Throwback Thursday episode, uh, and today we're going to be it? talking about... Yeah, because we're only doing these once a month. What did we do last Thursday? We we didn't. We started on the second to the last week of April, so we didn't have a Throwback Thursday. Throwback Thursdays are just the first week of each new month. Okay, you write the schedule, boss. All right. So welcome to our inaugural first episode of Throwback Thursdays, and today we're going to be talking about very bad things from 1998. Great little movie, critically panned at the time of reception. I think it had like a Metacritic score of 34 out of 100. But I find that to be bullshit. Yeah, no, and I disagree with that vehemently. I feel like, though, the problem is that we were um, children when we watched it. And there's a different mindset than... So I loved it as a kid. But I was 1998. I was 10 years old when I watched this movie. So this movie was directed by uh, Peter Berg. Tarantino. No, Peter Berg, who uh, actually has a lot of directing credits. I don't really know them off the top of my head, but for some reason, a lot of them feature Mark Wahlberg. Um, really? Yeah, like um, I think Patriots Day, maybe, and a few other. Like if you look at his IMDb page, it's like a lot of movies with Mark Wahlberg on the cover. So this movie also uh, has a pretty good cast. Um, a lot of people in it that maybe aren't super famous, but definitely had kind of really important roles in a lot of cult films or just movies that I remember fondly. I'm going to say at the time, a lot of these people were super famous. What are you talking about? Who wasn't? Okay. Name the guy with the glasses then. What's his name? I don't know, but in like 98, I know he was in a bunch of shit that I'd seen. Name one. <sighs> I don't know, because it was 98 and I was 10 years old. I looked him up. His name's Leland Orser. Um, the thing I remember him from is like Alien Resurrection. I think he was one of the people who had an alien burrowing inside his chest. And I vaguely remember him being in like a war movie. He was in Saving Private Ryan. Um, That's the one. See, like a big movie. He was also the nurse. So you in- picked out one non-famous person. Now, there's Cameron Diaz, John Favreau, the dude from- John Favreau's Mola. not like super famous though. Like he's not a well-known he's, person. He's Well, I, I think that one, I think that's up to debate and it depends on like what type of stuff you watch. Because now, as far as Marvel movies go, he's huge. At well, that time, yeah. maybe he wasn't huge, but like now he's huge. Well, yeah, but we're talking about at the time. Oh. 
Like at the time, arguably the most famous person in the movie was Christian Slater and Cameron Diaz. Film actor. Because what? There's something about Mary came out like a year before this, right? Was that 97? It was pretty close. It was pretty close. Because I think that was like one of her first movies. Because that was like right before that whole thing where like the pictures came out. And like that was when like celebrities cared about being seen naked. Fair enough. But I mean, I the first thing I remember her from that I think was one of like her main big break role was when she played like the sexy lounge singer in The Mask. And that was like 94, I think. That was before that. That barely counts as a starring role. Well, she was a like a focal point. Let me put it that way. The famous they were like, person in that. Here's the only attractive person in this movie that you're going to see right here. Whoa. I would bang Jim Carrey. Like Truman Show Jim Carrey or like Dumb and Dumber Jim Carrey? Yes. All right. What about Man in the Moon Jim Carrey? Yes. Oh, really? Okay. That one I'm disappointed in. But um, (laughs) all right. So we've got uh, Christian Slater, very famous in the 80s. Definitely played a big part in Heathers, one of my favorite 80s movies. We've got Jeremy Piven, who wasn't super big at the time. Uh, the only thing I'd seen him in prior to that was this movie called PCU, which is about a bunch of like super politically correct students on a campus. Oddly enough, John Favreau was also in that movie as like the stoner guy that they sent out to get beer, and he like never quite. I'm made glad it. I'm not the only person that knows that movie because for a while I kind of thought I was. No, nah, it's a fantastic movie, and PCU had a double kind of entendre. It stood for Portchester University and politically correct university. Um, uh, because that movie was like up there with like National Lampoon's movies. Kind of, I think so better I think in some ways. Some, I love like, any movie with George Clinton. So like Good Burger and PCU are on the top of that list. You like Good Burger because of George Clinton. That's my favorite scene. The dance scene and the insane For his asylum. one part in that movie at the end. I mean, I like the movie in general, but that's definitely like the highlight of the film for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's something I've learned about you today. So we've got Jeremy Piven really was only in PCU as like a main character before this. Later went on to star in Entourage, um, which he became pretty popular for. And the only other thing I know about him is that at one point he ate like way too much sushi and had to be hospitalized for mercury poisoning. I feel like that's got to be one of those myths because I he's not the only person I've heard that about. Jeremy Piven still struggles with the effects of mercury poisoning. The Entourage star was contaminated with the toxic metal after eating a lot of sushi prior to 2008. Does sushi no longer have a lot of mercury in it? I think the problem is he was just like when you eat too much of it. Every day? Yeah. Like if you have 30 of anything, it's probably not great for you. Only let's all right. You're going to distract me now. My brain is like doing that ADD thing. All right. Let's focus. Stay on task. So let's do it. Jeremy Piven. Really? So we've got Christian Slater, Jeremy Piven. We've also got uh, Leland Orser, who we talked about a little bit, who's basically a guy who you'd recognize from a lot of movies, like The Bone Collector, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, I do recognize him from Bone Collector, but Saving Private Ryan was the first one I thought of. He was also in Alien Resurrection. He was in Seven. And um, he's basically made a career out of just being that guy who's a nervous wreck, and he does it to a T. He's fantastic. All right, so we've also got Daniel Stern, more notably the Sticky Bandit, the taller of the Sticky Bandits from Home Alone, playing a very serious... Also one of my favorite childhood movies, which probably was around this time, Bushwhacked. Oh, yeah. where he What is he? He's like a criminal, right? That pretends to be a scout. Yeah, he's running master. away and then he pretends to be a scout master. And then like this like super, like I think the dude who actually was the scout master was uh, uh, the, the dude who plays the drill sergeant in uh, Full oh, Metal Jacket. That, yeah. Why did that freeze my brain just now? <laughs> I don't know the guy's name, but he plays the same character in like every movie. 
All right, so we've also got John Favreau, who goes back and forth between being really chiseled and being a little chunky. He was in a lot of movies. He was in Rudy. He was in PCU. All I know um, is his jawline in this movie had me like, well, that's John Favreau. And like, yeah, I know he, that he's been both because I've seen movies where he's been both. Like, I think in Iron Man at one point, he's jacked too. Yeah, no, he definitely goes back and forth. Um, but right now he's a little more prominent as a director. So John Favreau and one of the other cameos in this movie that is kind of integral to the plot and we can't just ignore is um, Kobe Tai. Anything? No. So I specifically looked her up because you told me that and then because it's it, she's in the movie and I really couldn't find much because I guess either because it's it's so long ago and it's like harder to find vintage stuff or maybe it hasn't been uploaded to the internet. Yeah. So no, I don't have much of an opinion on that side of it. Well, she was a porn star in the, I guess, early nineties. Um, and she played the stripper who ends up causing a lot of problems. I guess it's, it's not really her fault, but, um, so this movie begins, uh, in media ray, which is kind of, you know, like classic literary term for in the middle. And it opens up with John Favreau, and the guy with the glasses, the nervous train wreck guy, just sitting on a chair, tapping their toes against the ground, looking really, really nervous and uncomfortable. And then we flash back to a few days earlier. So we've got five friends. We've got Christian Slater, John Favreau, Daniel Stern, Leland Orser, Jeremy Piven. Was that five? Sure. Jeremy Piven and um, what's his face are brothers. Right. Jeremy Piven and Daniel Stern are brothers. They're both Jewish, not super important to the plot, but... It's important to a bunch but it of it does become important at some point to the dialogue and like some of the comedic scenes. But yeah, um, John Favreau is getting married to Cameron Diaz in two days and they decide to take a big bachelor party trip to Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, while they're there, Christian Slater busts out a ton of pills and cocaine and they're all partying, having fun in their hotel room, going out gambling, accosting women on the strip and watching UFC fights. And then at some point, the stripper, Kobe Tai, arrives, and she's doing a lap dance to John Favreau, says he can have anything he wants because it's already paid for. Uh, he declines, says, no, I'm getting married. I can't, I can't do this. And uh, Michael, Jeremy Piven, decides, oh, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And he's just so coked up and impatient. He rips her off of another guy to do this. He's like sitting there like jittering, like waiting to hop up and then just like takes her and he's like, okay, we're going over here now. He picks her up and carries her to the bathroom, doesn't he? Like under his arm. Yeah, he like, he like abducts her because it's one of, it's part of the dialogue in there then where he's like, I wasn't too presumptuous, was I? And she's like, no, also it's $500. And he's like, oh, and he's like, uh, it's, it's not paid for. No, no, right, whatever. Fuck it. I'll do it anyway. And then he takes his shirt off and he's got like, like a super, he's got like a shag carpet on his chest. And he's like, yeah, not what you thought, huh? And she's like, no, I guess not. You know, he's like, he's out of his mind high and drunk. Cause he's like talking a mile a minute and none of it makes sense. Oh, and there was also that great moment where Christian Slater was going on a rant about how Israel's in danger and that their king, even though they don't have a king, should like uproot every Israeli and take Mexico because Mexicans need a little bit of order. And he also... <laughs> believes that like all Mexicans and Jews look alike. So it won't make a difference. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was like, yeah, we got to get back to like Christian Slater's character because throughout the entire film, like from the moment he's introduced a, um, well, no, actually for whatever reason, he's not the one that, uh, Cameron Diaz is worried about, but he's like, he's like a psychopath. Like right away, the moment he's introduced, he's like, he's like a real estate agent or something. And he like yeah, no, he, yeah, yeah. basically tells his clients to fuck off because he's on the phone trying to buy a prostitute. Yeah, can you get off the property, please? Well, we just want to have a look. Yeah, well, you can get a look after I'm off the property because that's how it works. Okay, no, after I'm off the phone. 
No, no, it was after I'm off the property. No, it's after I'm off the phone. I'd literally just watched this. I literally just watched it too. All right, whatever. Go ahead. Said it like four or five times. All right. <laughs> That's not even important at all, whether it's property or phone, whatever P word it was. He's wearing a blue shirt, bitch. <laughs> what do you, what color do you think his shirt on? <laughs> <laughs> Weirdest argument ever. It was phone. It was property. It was a word that starts with P. It doesn't matter. <laughs> No one gives a fuck anyway. <laughs> the point is that he was a dick to the people that he's trying to sell the house to. And I, I think they mentioned later it's because he's doing some kind of like self-help thing that's basically turned him into a psychopath. So Christian Slater's a psychopath. Jeremy Piven takes this prostitute in the bathroom. He's having sex with her uh, very violently, kind of. That was the most ridiculous sex scene in a movie where none of it looked fun. He's just spinning around this room walking around for most of it doesn't even look like they're having sex it looks like they're literally just walking around he's carrying her. it looked like not the whole time she's just like is this working for you and she's like yeah 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 whatever just get done so they're having sex and i'm putting that in air quotes because it just didn't look like a good time for anybody and he is holding her up legs wrapped around his waist and he's kind of just moving her from countertop to wall and then he kind of slams her into the wall he finishes, and then he looks up and realizes that she's dead because he had thrown her into the wall and she now had a coat hook sticking out of her, her head. She was actually hanging on the wall, feet off the ground. The other guys are outside. One guy falls through a glass table, breaks it. They're all having fun, laughing like a bunch of idiots. And this guy comes out of the bathroom wearing a robe and blood all over his hands and says, Hey guys, I fucked up. And they killed so, the prostitute. Well, one of them killed the prostitute totally by accident. I also think they should have just probably cleaned up the drugs, got rid of the drugs, and called the police. It would have been That's as simple as that. I mean, at worst, the cops would have just been like, why'd you take so long to call? And they'd be like, how do you know how long it took us to call? I think within two still, hours. Even still, there's a time frame in which, there's a, there's a situation in which cops will forgive most things. I mean, I guess not Jeremy Piven's character. He would have gotten the shit fried out of him for being on the drugs when it happened. But all the other characters probably would have been able to get like, like a, a level of immunity from it for calling the cops. Jeremy, if they didn't do anything else to it, if they didn't try to clean up the body, if, if all they did was get rid of their drugs, Jeremy Piven at most would have been charged with probably like, I don't know, aggravated manslaughter or something. I don't think it would have been aggravated manslaughter. Probably just would have been manslaughter too or something. Like, or woman, woman slaughter. Or involuntary, involuntary manslaughter. Like, I did this by accident, but it did lead to someone's death, and it was because I was doing negligible. I feel like there's an added layer or, of... Or, like, negligible homicide, which is, I think, less than manslaughter. It depends. I mean, I feel like there's definitely an added layer if he's under the influence. Because if you just hit yeah. somebody with your car by accident, it's very different than if you're, like, driving around super drunk and hit someone with your car. Yeah. So, Daniel Stern's character is freaking out. He wants to call an ambulance. Um Boyd, Christian Slater's character, is like, no, no, just wait a minute. We we don't need to call an ambulance because she's already dead. They're not going to make her more dead. He uses some logic like we can't unkill her, doesn't he? Something like that. He's like, you know, let's but just take not going to bring her back. He's like, we need to call the police. He's like, no, no, we need to consider our options. That's not an option. He's like, yes, it is. We all have options. And then Christian Slater like launches into this whole like self-help, you know, the straightest distance between two points is a straight line. And I see that line. I see it. And it's in the desert. We need to go put this woman in the desert. Are you with me? He also implies that there'll be accessory to murder, but they don't become an accessory to murder until they start touching the body. Yeah, no, he definitely like does like a fear tactic to make them think like, 
I'm in a lot of trouble right now. I need to do something else. And can we talk for a minute about fucking Cameron Diaz calling him every five minutes and her whole weird, oh like, do you love me thing? Or like the, the huge fight that they get into at the courthouse because he may or may not have sent out all of the checks. Oh, yeah, because he didn't send out the tent check and she was like freaking the fuck out. Well, he's not sure. He's like, I, I think I did. But she's like, did you send all of them? He's like, yeah, I sent that one. I sent that one. I sent that one. I don't know about that one, but maybe. Or then the chair thing. Yeah, he's calling from the road. She knows he's leaving, but it's, hey, can you go fix this problem? What about the conversation in the van, though? Which one? The one about the cost of using uh, the super old technology of car phones? Or (sighs) this is a weird diversion. Anyway, let's go back. So he convinces everybody to get rid of this woman, bury her body in the desert. Just after he finishes convincing everybody, like just when they're all like, okay, fine, let's go desert. Uh, they hear a knock on the door and they're like security. And they just all fucking freeze like deer in the headlights, right? They don't want to yeah. even remotely move. And there's and, nothing suspicious about not answering the door when the security guards come to ask you what you're doing. Right. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, now he went away. He went away. It's quiet now. And they hear like the little buzz latch on the door and the guy comes in. Cause I guess they forgot that security has access to all the rooms and they're like, hey, what's going on, buddy? And he's like, y'all didn't hear when I was knocking. What do they say? No, we were cleaning up or something. I don't know. We That's just... some like lame, like lame excuse. Yeah. Or no, I think they were just like, nah, sorry, we're just on a bunch of drugs and alcohol. And the security guard's like, I hear that. Oh, he says that, and he uh, Christian Slater slips the guy like a hundred dollar bill or something. And they're all like, they all freeze for a second, like, oh no, is he going to take the bribe? And he, they like almost get him out of the fucking room. They like almost have him out of the room, but then he catches a glimpse of like. The prostitute's foot. No, her face. Oh, no, he sees her foot out of the corner of his eye in the room, but then he sees the mirror, and then he sees her face. And he goes in, and they're all, like, freaking out, trying to make excuses. Like, it's not what it looks like. And while they're doing that, Christian Slater, like, shakes his head like he's pissed off. Like, oh, great, now I gotta kill this fucking guy. And he goes and grabs a corkscrew. Which, you know, like, this is the thing he's been waiting for his whole life. Like, a reason to fucking, like, do this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, he does not... He does not like skip a beat he's like i'll kill you too now so he goes and gets the corkscrew stabs the guy and then his first reaction is like don't let him bleed on the carpet like he's very like methodical about this so they like it's sort of like maybe he planned this i don't mean he he couldn't plan the accident but it's like no but like the way he does it it's like this is like plant like you were ready like at least at the very least he had like a disposal plan set up for like All right, so if anybody accidentally kills a prostitute while we're in Vegas, this is what we got to do next. I mean, it's good to be prepared. (laughs) You know, I have a plan of action for if I get attacked by a dog, a wolf, or a coyote while I'm out for a walk. Really? That's weird, because, like, I technically kind of have to have those all the time because of the actual risk of it happening and how many times it's actually almost happened. Not wolves, but dogs. Fair enough. (laughs) Anyway, so they push Push the security guard, they stab the security guard with the corkscrew, push him in the bathroom, and they close the door. And Christian Slater said, just just let him bleed out. And then this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. They all hold the door shut. And the guy inside is like not nearly dead at this point. So he's like running full force into the door trying to pound it. And like, they're all standing there terrified. And every time he pounds against the door, they like scream. Yeah, this is a part to me that makes no sense because A, they would have given themselves away with the shit they were yelling, for one. Mm-hmm. They're like, just die already! And then on, and then two, like, 
he stabbed the shit out of this dude with his corkscrew, but that does not guarantee that he's going to die. And he's like, oh yeah, he's, he's going to go. But like the dude's fighting hard for like a while. And then I he's mean, just dead. And it's like, I don't know if that's how this would happen. He stabbed him like right above his heart. There's a lot of arteries and veins in there. So, I mean, I guess he was just banking on it, hitting one, but I mean, how long is a corkscrew? Like two inches? I mean, you really only need for the most part, so make me sound like a psycho, but you really only need like three inches to kill somebody. That's what she said. But even still, how deep could you get a corkscrew in somebody? It's not. Why didn't you say penis? Everything you just said was leading up to penis. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I could have saved myself not sounding like a psychopath by saying penis. <laughs> exactly. Thank <laughs> Instead you. Instead of just being like, I know how deep to stab people. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, if you think about the average pocket knife, it's like four inches or less. <laughs> this isn't helping, is it? This isn't helping me. No. All right. So. All right. Um. Anyway, no, I don't know. I just I found it unbelievable that that security guard would die from the three corkscrew stabs that he got to his collarbone. Because A, where it was, wasn't really the heart. It was like near the heart. B, it's corkscrew. Even if you stab someone with it. The shape of it is going to be difficult to get in pretty deep. On top of it, he's stabbing him in the rib cage area. So, like, I don't know how well that man's organs actually would have been protected. But then also, it took forever for him to die. So, no, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just don't find that believable. I know it's, unne- it's, it's not important, but that's a problem that I've always had with movies when I'm like, that's not real. Okay, so then they take, uh, like, a family shopping trip to... The hardware store, which is also probably one of my favorite scenes Um, because they're just I didn't understand this at all. I don't know if they paid cash, but it's like five guys walking through, I guess, a Walmart with like five or six suitcases, five shovels, uh, a whole cart full of cleaning supplies and like plastic jumpsuits. Wouldn't it have made more sense if they each went in and bought different things? Like one guy got the suitcases, one guy got the shovels, one guy. But no, they all just walk up to the counter. I would have loved to have seen that interaction when they paid for it. You know, like what kind of party are you guys having? It was just, it was weird. Anyway, they get all this shit. They go back to the room. Um, they make that bathroom spotless for the most part. It was like, it's marble floors. This will be easy. Yeah, we can clean it up. No big deal. Like, I mean, he was very adamant about not having the guy bleed on the carpet. So it's totally plausible yeah. in that sense. But then they drive out to the desert uh, after they wrap. They, well, there's the sawing up the bodies, right? They saw up the bodies, wrap everything in plastic and duct tape, put them in the suitcases, and then like casually walk out of the hotel carrying suitcases full of dead body parts. And then they drive out to the desert and they pretty much successfully dig the holes and start to bury everybody until Adam, Daniel Stern's character, brings up the fact that, oh no, what if they were Jewish? Yeah, he brought it up at the worst time in my mind. I'm like, why are you waiting till now and he says according to jewish law we can't bury them like this all mixed up because if the body's not whole they can't get into heaven in the afterlife he also mentions blood but a bunch of their blood's mixed with bleach on a floor in like the hotel so yeah there's a lot of inconsistencies there but basically now i have other weirder questions um so then they engage in sort of a body part jigsaw puzzle where they have to realign the correct body parts with the correct participant, which is like a weird way to describe a murder victim. But oh, I think the best part was somebody gets like 
the dude's upper leg and the girl's lower leg and starts having a fit about it. I was going to say, that's like one of my favorite lines because we got Jeremy Piven over here smoking a cigarette, like opening a suitcase. I got kind of a combo situation over here. And then we have the guy with the glasses holding the security guard's upper leg and the girl's lower leg. And he's like, I have his upper leg and her lower leg. I have his upper leg and her lower leg and they don't go together. (laughs) I mean, it's horrifying, but everything about this movie is fucking hilarious. His moral fortitude, like throughout this whole thing, in my mind, he would never have participated as much as he participates. Which guy? The guy with the glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his face? Wait, no. No, no, no. Not him. Never mind. The dude who made them f- switch all the bodies. Oh, uh, Adam. Yeah, Adam. There's no way he would have He would have definitely called the cops. Yeah, no, that was and his like, first reaction. Like, call the cops, deal with the consequences. Like, even if he had done he it, he still would have called the, the cops. Way through. Yeah. Like even if he if he if he did that and got killed, that would have I would have been like, okay, this makes way more sense than him just full on participating in this thing that he clearly is not not a part of. Yeah, no, Christian Slater's entire like once he goes full psychopath, there's not a hint of morality. It's literally just like we need to perform this action so this doesn't happen. Yeah, like he got like a boner at the idea of like hiding a body. Like he was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever wanted to do. John Favreau, I think, was just too riddled with like. The, the pressure from his his fiance because she's a psycho too well some of them were also guilted a little bit too because i think they were trying to help jeremy piven's character out because they were concerned for what would happen well to him. i was i would say that about the other guy but like I, even still i think adam wouldn't have participated he was like fuck you this is your fault other other favorite line the uh the guy who's yelling i have his upper leg and her lower leg later he's like i have toes i have toes i have somebody's toes and he had like a foot in his, do you not really? It was no, I don't remember that part. Fully like losing his shit. And then after they bury the bodies, Christian Slater gives this really bizarre like post-game victory speech, right? Where he's like just like a psycho life coach. And he's like, yeah. like we did a good job out there, gentlemen. We overcame. Yeah, this is the part <laughs> where they accuse, like they, they like call him out for whatever self-help group thing he's a part of that's turning him into a psycho. Ever since you started doing whatever, whatever, you've been acting like a real nut job or whatever. And then there's that great part where I don't remember who proposed it. It might have been John Favreau. Somebody was like, "Oh, we need to say a few words. We need to uh, say something for the for the people here." To I, I think it's John Favreau. I'm pretty sure it was. So they're like, "All right, go ahead, bro." And he like says, "Oh Lord, I don't fucking know how to pray." <laughs> but then he uh, comes. <sighs> oh, I don't remember what he says, but it's about like living. The, it's basically one of those like prayers where it's like, "I promise I'll be good from now on. Don't uh, don't smite me." <sighs> or how about the fact that like Adam is like, "I hope they don't have kids." They're like, he's too young to have kids. That was he actually, part, right? he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't concerned about, no, that's later actually outside of the, cause the next thing they do is they oh, go yeah. to the, they go to the, um, they go to the car wash to clean off the desert from their car. And they're all sitting there like agonizing over the night's events. Not Boyd, not Christian Slater. That fucker's over there playing Mortal Kombat on the arcade, killing yeah. more people, like having a great fucking time. Like obviously no guilt. No worries, no nothing. Like he hit he hit jackpot on this Vegas trip. He was like, There's no way I was gonna be like able to dump a body in the desert like a mob. Yeah, he's like he's probably just super proud of the way he handled that situation. He's like, I didn't fold under pressure. I fucking yeah. I kept everybody together and I controlled the situation. I mean, he's not wrong. He did a great job leading them. He cleaned up. I mean if <laughs> if, if the group hadn't broken down later, it would have been fucking fine. But I mean you know, some people had actual consciences. Yeah, yeah. Which can be a bitch. They can be yeah, a bitch. Yeah. Um, so 
Then while they're outside, I think, oh, John Favreau goes outside to call Cameron Diaz. She's once again, like berating him about the chair people. And that's when Adam slash Daniel Stern comes out and says, what if he had kids? Notice he wasn't concerned about the stripper having kids. He was only concerned about the security guard. And um, it is true. He was like, oh, no, I think he's too young to have kids, which didn't make any sense because the guy looked like he was easily in like his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. There's no there was no like reason to believe that based on his age, he did not have children. He was just trying to reassure him. Um, How long after that is it before the paper comes out, which really is what I think that like starts the decline because that's like Adam's character. Like he's already having a hard time with the whole deal. Mm -hmm. And then the newspaper comes out and it says that the man's missing and has got like two kids looking for him. And he just goes fucking nuts. At he's that like, point. I fucking knew it. He had kids. And yeah, he was just like lost it. Cause like now he's feels bad about, even though he didn't actually kill anybody, he feels bad about the, at this point they're just as guilty because of the cleanup. Well, and he knows those kids are never going to find their father either. Like yeah. even his body, like they're never going to get closure. Yeah. I'm sure that's eating at him as well. But then from there, it kind of turns to something later because like, for real, they're probably not going to get found. People get lost in the desert all the time. No, desert is a great place to put bodies. It comes up later, though, and it's like, why are you even doing this? But yeah. But um, from from there on out for the next like 20 to 30 minutes, it kind of becomes like the Adam guilt show. Um, yeah. He's like he's gassing up his car at a gas station. He thinks everybody's watching him, like everybody that's on the phone, everybody that glances, like just totally paranoid. That like there's like a dragnet that's gonna like reel him in pretty soon for having participated in these murders. Um, even though the first one I can't really call a murder because that was a straight up accident, but the second one was yeah. like for sure a murder. But he's like cursing at his wife, just cursing at his kids, just totally breaking down. Because up until then he seemed like a pretty nice family guy, but it just took everything out of him. Um, I guess we could talk about the culminating scene outside of the roost. Like so, Cameron Diaz and. John Favreau's they're at their wedding rehearsal and Adam's having like a hard time this whole time still like heavy breathing, like panicking, worried people are watching him. And then they're the uh, John Favreau's dad begins like his speech to his son and Adam's character like just leaves. So, of course, all of the friends, including John Favreau, just walk out in the middle of the, the speech and stuff. And like the dad comments on it, doesn't he? He's like, yeah, to my son. And his wife. Yeah, because it would have been the moment where they like said "aw" and kissed, but like he wasn't sitting there. Yeah. So then, of course, they're all out there trying to comfort him. He's like not saying, you know, he's he's trying to, I guess, keep it quiet a little bit for like a minute there, uh, not being like, "Oh, we killed that lady," blah blah blah. But he's like panicking. He's like freaking out. He's like, "They're gonna find me." And then John Favreau's character and all of them are trying to calm down. And then Cameron Diaz's character comes out. And she's like, stop fucking around with your friends and get inside, which that kind of like, I think that helps lead to like what happens next, where like Jeremy Piven and his brother get into a full blown, like, do they start swinging? It does become physical at some point. There's like, like, they're a, like at least a shoving match and like yeah. grabbing on each other. And they're like, they're fighting, fighting. And Daniel Stern slash Adam starts screaming like, you're a murderer. You're a murderer really, really, really loudly. And the weirdest part about that for me was he wasn't yelling at Christian Slater. Like, Christian Slater's the only actual fucking murderer in the group. Like, he stabbed somebody in cold blood when he didn't have to. The other guy was just like a fucking idiot that couldn't fuck somebody without accidentally killing her. But that doesn't make him a murderer. Meanwhile, Christian Slater's just standing right there, and he's ignoring that fact, like, entirely. I guess because he's not related to him? That was a little weird for me. Maybe. I doubt he cared. That's the thing. Oh, but no, Jeremy Piven kicks the minivan. 
And he's like, hey, don't touch my fucking minivan. And then they're like, go on, get out of here. Just get out of here. So Jeremy Piven gets in his car. Well, th- let's talk about that part because I think this is funny too because at first it's, Adam, what the fuck are you doing? Calm the fuck down. And then, for whatever reason, everybody's like, they gang up on Jeremy Piven. They, they changed like their stance after like they get into this fight. I think it was because they realized that Jeremy Piven, while not necessarily the one who was in the wrong, wasn't the one that was like out of control and threatening to endanger all of them. Okay. So like take the side of the guy that's going to be the risk. Okay. But Jeremy Piven gets like almost out of the parking lot. Like he's almost fucking gone. He slams on his brakes and they're like, what's he doing? He he does like a weird kind of K turn and like slaps the steering wheel a bunch of times, which I always like, I remember that from the first time I saw the movie. He's just totally like raging. And then he sits there like revving his engine in front of the minivan. And isn't he like saying like, so like, fuck your minivan. No, no. He says, Mr. Fucking minivan. And then he fucking slams on the gas. The guy's like, oh no, he's going to hit my minivan. And for some reason in this guy's logic where his body is like equivalent of Superman or Clark Kent stands between the Jeep Cherokee that's going 60 miles an hour and the minivan. And then Jeremy Piven accidentally plows into the minivan with his brother in between them. He, he didn't want to run him over. Like when he saw the brother was in front of him, he was like, no, 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 no. But it was too close for him to like be able to do anything. Yeah, about he it. slammed on his brakes. It just didn't do any good, which leads to uh, a new confrontation with, uh, the police officers and a bunch of lying which is really funny like i don't understand the point of the lying in this part because they're like nah nothing happened they didn't want to talk about what they were arguing about specifically yeah because what are they going to say i know he's just pissed because michael accidentally killed a prostitute in vegas and then we buried her in the desert you know how it is <laughs> you know when things just happen so Adam is in critical condition. They're all at the hospital. Adam's in critical condition. And I actually really thought this part was kind of interesting because it really showed the extent to which Boyd is psychopathic, Christian Slater. He first starts talking to the cop and he like pantomimes all the emotions of like a grieving person, but he's not actually like experiencing any of them, right? First, he starts off kind wow. of sad. He's like pretending to cry to the officer. And then when he sees that that tactic isn't working and the officer's still continuing to ask questions, then he switches to angry Boyd. And he responds angrily because he's just trying to like end the situation. doesn't really work because as soon as he walks away, he says, what was that guy's name? The John Favreau? Yeah. Like he's a person yeah. of interest. He, he's just like wants the cop to get the fuck away from him. And then the doctor comes out and runs over to Adam's wife, played by Gene Triplehorn. And he says, he wants to talk to you. I'm going to warn you right now. He's very critical and it's not good. So she goes in there and like, they follow her. And they're watching as she goes over to Adam's body and he's laying there with like a neck brace on covered in blood. And she leans in real close and he whispers something in her ear and then flatlines. And they're all sitting there like, oh my God, Adam's dead. And Christian Slater's sitting there like, what the fuck did he just say? There's a very different like level of emotions going on there. Yeah. That's when it kind of switches. Cause first uh, we had Adam break Daniel Stern's character, but then from then on it's Michael's character, Jeremy Piven that breaks and it's not because of the prostitute or the security guards because he murdered his own brother. Yeah. Not only from like just a moral standpoint, he's starting to also like feel the religious implications of that, which is what his brother was feeling in the first place. Oh yeah. He he goes like full blown into like, yeah, we are getting goosed by God. That's what it was. Goosed. Goosed. They're like, just like chucking pills at him. I don't know what pills he was supposed to be taking, but like, I guess anything kind of anti-anxiety meds. They're like, he's already had two. Give him two more. Like we said, if you take 40 of anything, it's not good. Um, (laughs) Even anti-anxiety pills. 
Um, well, then, then the the sister in law uh, is like, "You guys need to tell me what happened." She calls them, right? Yeah. So Adam's wife calls them, and she says she wants to talk to them. So they go over to her place, and she says she found a confession of some sort, a note in Adam's desk that sounds like he was saying he did something terrible to a woman in Vegas, and she wants to know what happened. And there's a lot going on in this scene. Jeremy Piven sitting there just wallowing in the fact that he killed his own brother. The guy with the glasses is just like tweaking the fuck out. And Christian Slater is just like on the other side of the room, like caressing the knife block in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Wait. Just like caressing it. <laughs> Give me two seconds. Okay. I'll be my pants. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I've been like uh, holding that since like the beginning of this one. But it got to the point where, you know, when you could like feel it in your face. All right. <laughs> so where were we at? We, uh, Christian Slater is caressing a knife block. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he was making it pretty obvious. Like he was giving himself away at this point. Like, no, no, she didn't see that. That was more him like warning everybody else. Like, hey, just so you guys know, I know she's asking you what happened in Vegas. If you answer, honestly, I'm going to have to fucking kill her. Oh, yeah. Because Jeremy Piven is like halfway to confessing. Yeah, she zeroes in on him. Slater is like... By this point, he's like pounding the knife into the knife block. No, no, no. That's when he starts talking to her. At this point, he's just moving it up and down, like in and out of the thing. When he gets to talking, like when she starts questioning him is when he starts like stabbing the knife block with it. Like, just leave it alone. And John Favreau is sitting around the room, like looking around the room, like just terrified. He's like, there's knives there. There's a woman there. He's freaking out. And then he stands up and goes, all right, here's the deal. Adam slept with a prostitute in Vegas. Yeah, and like you could tell that that was supposed to be one and done, but this brings out more of like the psychotic nature of like Christian Slater because he's just like, and it's not the first time. In fact, he does it a lot. It's, it's so non. No, that 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 pissed me off for two reasons. One, because he's like unnecessarily disparaging like the memory of Adam, but two, it didn't fit with their story. If he slept with a prostitute in Vegas and he was like all upset and racked with guilt, why would he have been upset if this was a regular thing for him? Like it didn't make any sense. Yeah, for real. He just did it to be a dick and like to hurt her, really. I think because he was mad that she like created the situation. No, she had called him like a lousy snake or something, or she didn't trust him earlier. Okay. And that, that was like, right, because later he says like, I didn't appreciate that personal attack. So that was just him like being petty. And she was upset enough right. that it didn't really matter what she said. He, she wasn't like analyzing it in any great detail. No. All right. Yeah, that makes sense then. But no, he's like super douche in like every way. Yeah, I was just, I was, I was, I was pretty mad too. I'm like, why are you like, that's your friend. Was that before or after the funeral? That was after. All right. Well, we skipped the funeral. I fucking love the funeral scene. The funeral scenes. It has to have been after. Yeah. Cause I don't think the wife doesn't, I think there's like a whole situation where she's like leaning on someone's shoulder, talking to them, like whispering because at the, at the funeral. And uh, I think that's like giving Christian Slater like weird vibes or whatever. No, no, that's not what happens. Well, maybe, but like the main part from the funeral that was the takeaway for me was the camera opens up on sort of a long shot. It's from far away. And you just hear this like loud, piercing, like woman crying, just like sobbing. And the camera moves in closer and sort of pans across everybody sitting there until it focuses on Michael, Jeremy Piven's character. And you realize he's the one that's crying like that the entire time. And then he gets up 
And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Lois. And he like walks over to Adam's widow and starts climbing on top of her sort of like he can't hug her enough. And he says some classic stuff there. My favorite was, because it's supposed to be a serious scene, but I mean, he's just making it so ridiculous. He says like, I'm going to buy you a new minivan and you're going to be the soccer mom. You're going to be the soccer mom. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that scene was a bit much. Yeah. But then they, then, then they go to talk to her. But then Christian Slater goes back that night, right? Like they take Michael out to a bar, John Favreau and the guy with the glasses. They take him out to a bar and try to calm him down a little bit, just keep him chill. And he actually gives this really kind of poignant speech about sparklers. Oh yeah, yeah, like a family story. Yeah, he says, "My our dad used to our dad used to get us sparklers, and he'd always say, wait for the wahoo moment.' And he was like, there'd be this time where you know you'd light a sparkler and it would burn and it would burn." It would burn down, and and then at one point it would just burn, just like a moment of pure burn, and that's the wahoo moment. And he says, you know, what what about my wahoo moment? Like, what if I had it and I missed it? You know, and it's just kind of it was a good like I don't know, it was like an interesting philosophy for him to like retrospectively be viewing his life, you know, because for him it's over. There's also like a weird thing though with this whole part where even if they were like it was an accident. There's no way he would just be like chilling right now. I feel I'm pretty sure there'd still be like an investigation that would have to be done that he would be a part of. And he's kind of just wandering around doing whatever because a funeral's that's like a little while. So like, it's not like this is right away. Probably sometime between four to seven days after he died. Right. Yeah. So it threw me off that there was like nothing because even even an accident. Even an accident, like a vehicular accident like that, he he'd be facing some kind of like like legal trouble. Like he'd probably be in jail right now during all of this. I don't know. It's just weird how quickly like people let things go in this movie, <laughs> or like it's it's implied that it like worked out. Like because uh, it's it's what like the wedding is is three days after all this. So um, all right, l- well, let's go back to that for real quick. To, to the Christian Slater is at the house with the came back to the right. Christian Slater comes back to the house. Uh, oh, we should also note that the dog and the kids, Adam's dogs and kids are not currently at the house. So he's alone in the house where they're, they're staying at John Favreau's place with uh, a very unhappy Cameron Diaz. And Christian Slater walks over to her and says, I just wanted you to know, I really didn't appreciate that personal attack. And then he starts like trying to like smother her with a pillow. And she, well, who did she think he was at first? Cause she called out someone else's name and he's like, nope. She said, Adam, Okay, probably cause she was like half asleep. You know, she forgot that yeah. he was, it's, you forget that people are dead right after they die. Takes a okay. while to sink in. He tries to smother her with a pillow. She grabs like an alarm clock, I think, clocks him in the face with it and hits him in the head. He falls down to the ground and she says, you fucked with the wrong woman this time. And she just leans in. She's wearing an ice mask on her face too. Cause her nose had been broken earlier in the car accident. And she bites the shit out of his crotch. Like she just goes in there and like, there's like tiger noises and growling and screaming. Actually, hold on a sec. Cause somehow I missed it. What car accident did she break her nose in? Oh, sorry. When they're leaving the gas station, when Adam is feeling super paranoid about everybody watching him, he's like driving really fast. And when he's trying to exit the gas station, another car is pulling in. So he slams on the brakes real hard and her head goes forward and smashes into the dashboard. And then okay. when she shows up at the rehearsal dinner, she's got like a bandage on her nose and like black eyes uh, going on. So she's. I must not have. I must have just like looked away for that part because I was like, why is her nose broken now? 
Like, I didn't know. And I didn't feel like rewinding either. It was like two seconds. Like, it was a really fast shot because they didn't show any okay. aftermath of it. It was like face to the dashboard, walking to their rehearsal dinner. Like, it was an instant cut. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, back to her biting the fuck out of Christian Slater's crotch. I mean, she's getting in the. I swear to God, they were playing tiger noises in the background. There was a lot of like weird primal shit going on. And then it just turns into a fucking knockdown, drag out brawl until they crash through some kind of weird. I guess, glass divider that's in the room. And then it fades out. And then he makes a phone call to John Favreau. And he says, hey, I need you to get uh, Michael down here, Jeremy Fibbins' character, because Lois really wants to talk to him. Yeah, yeah, she really wants to talk to him about Adam and she's upset. And John Favreau's like, it's kind of late. And he's like, God, way to be fucking selfish. Just bring him over. So they like park the car outside. Christian Slater comes out and grabs Michael, brings him in. And John Favreau and like the guy with the glasses are sitting in the car and the guy with the glasses is actually like a pretty sweet dude. He's like, like he's like thinking about all the, like the stuff he wants to do. He was like a theme for him for the rest of it. Like he's taking his guilt and like trying to make something out of it later. Yeah. Like or what like, I did something negative, like what positive thing can I do to sort of balance the scales? And yeah. um, while they're talking about this, they just hear like a single gunshot and Christian Slater gets in the back of the car and he's like sitting in shadow. And he's like, Michael was in love with Lois. That's what he and Adam were arguing about outside of the rehearsal dinner. and. Michael killed him in a jealous rage. And then when he found out Lois didn't want him, he killed her and then killed himself. And he's just giving this narration of like the story he's going to tell for the murder he just committed. And it was actually a really kind of powerful scene because the guy with the glasses is just sitting there with like a single tear rolling down his face. And John Favreau's like looking terrified. They're like scared of him at this point, but they, they like have to go along with it. His true nature's out now. Yeah. He's like full fucking psycho. And they didn't know their friend was psycho before this. Yeah, they just thought he was like fun and exciting. Now they're like, oh my God, <laughs> the fuck do we you'll do now? Us. You'll kill us. Although, I don't know. He did threaten John Favreau like in the beginning. What did he say? Uh, when John Favreau wanted to call the, I think John Favreau was the first one that wanted to call the, the police. And like he continued to argue after everything. And I think I was after, after Christian Slater killed the body, the, the security guard, John Favreau was like, no, you know, we could still, we could still make this work. I'm going to call the cops. And Christian Slater said something like, if you go near that fucking phone, I'll bury you with them. Right. And he probably had no idea that he was really serious at the time. Until now. Now they do. But yeah, then there's the dramatic shot of Christian Slater like leaning forward into the light to show that he's all scratched up on his face. And he says that Lois fought like a fucking Comanche. Yeah. <sighs> now this is the part, the next part of the thing where I'm saying, because yeah, it cuts straight to the wedding, right? Yeah, it cuts back to the exact scene that it was in in the very beginning before it cut to the flashback. Then the guy with the glasses and John Favreau like sitting there awkwardly tapping their feet and their hands like uh, while they're waiting in their like full wedding dress outfits. So this is this is another one of those moments in the movie that I was saying before, like Jerry Piven's character, where I'm like, this makes no sense because apparently the police just outright bought that. There was like they're like, oh yeah, that must have been what it was, because. You would think that the wedding would have to be canceled. You would think like all these people would be under investigation. There, there would be no wedding. There'd be no movie either if it was just like I a court, guess, a courtroom saying, drama. It's a comedy. They, it just moves so fast with that stuff that it's like, huh? That's weird. <laughs> like nobody cares. They just all right, cool. They ate that. All right, they got that. Cool. That's the weird thing about this movie. There's like no real like legal recourse or like retribution on any part it's just kind of like and the time frames are so fast it's just like oh man on to the next day <laughs> everybody gets fucked by karma though yes everybody yes. gets punished like 
in their own way. Like nobody's safe from that, even though there are no legal implications, they suffered like all different kinds of hell. Like it's, it's really interesting yeah. that way. In a way, Chris, uh, Cameron Diaz's character is probably, well, let's not skip to that part yet. Then it cuts back to the wedding scene, very first scene in the movie. And we now see that these two guys are alive. Their other friends are dead. Christian Slater's there. And Oh, I guess actually we did skip a part then. Oh, because we skipped we the to, part with the, the will. There's no way this, this takes place in like a day and a half. But anyway, because she died, they're the beneficiaries of their will. Adam had amended his will so that Jean Favreau and Cameron Diaz were the uh, sole errors and so there's, they a, get... there's a whole speech about this where they set that up in the beginning too because he's like I, I made you you're gonna be the dad of my kid and then they like talk about how the right way to raise a child is you do not eyeball your kid yeah you don't do it very drunk very touching moment before everything goes to shit the little trees man the little the little <laughs> guys that the storm didn't see cameron diaz is like like fuck all of this except for the parts when they're like you're gonna get three hundred thousand dollars. Oh fuck yeah, three hundred. You're gonna get. You're gonna get five hundred thousand dollars. Oh, oh yeah, fuck yeah. And they're like, but actually, you're not because he didn't pay his life insurance. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> but you are gonna get a hundred thousand dollars for this, and then the house is worth three hundred thousand dollars. They're like, so okay, so we're back to five hundred thousand. And they're like, not quite. Also, with property values, <laughs> credit card debt, and then like when all said and done, they're stuck with like. Two asshole kids, one of whom and is disabled, $14, and fourteen thousand dollars. That's right. And then John Favreau at this point like runs to the side of the room and kind of curls up in sort of a standing fetal position. And then he divulges to Cameron Diaz. He tells her exactly what happened in the desert. He's like, "We accidentally killed a prostitute." She's like, "You killed a prostitute in Vegas?" And he's like, "Yeah." And we buried her in the desert. You left a dead prostitute alone in the desert. She's not alone. <laughs> and then her biggest qualm with this isn't like the moral implications, the legal implications. She's like, this is my fucking day. I will not be denied. And she turns into like the biggest bridezilla in history. Yeah. Her biggest concern is that this is somehow going to fucking ruin her wedding. He asks her if they can cancel at some point before that. And she's like, we are locked and loaded. We are non-refundable. I have relatives waiting at the airport right now. This shit is on. I think because all his friends started dying. John Favreau's character is just getting like pushed around by fucking everybody. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the main takeaway. John Favreau's character is really just a bitch throughout this whole thing. Yeah, and she's everybody I, just bullies him into bad situations. And his relationship with Cameron Diaz is terrible too, because she keeps like asking for validation. Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think at one point he says, "Do you love me?" And she's like, "Listen, we need to get our shit together." Like she does not respond at all to the one time well, he asks. It's it. not even just that. It's like from the whole movie, it's her yelling at him. And then asking him, do you love me? This is an abusive relationship he's in. And he's like trapped in it because he's made some weird commitment to it. Yeah, we don't get a whole lot of backstory on like how. But this is definitely like, this has definitely got to be how she always is. There's no way that this is just wedding jitters crap. That would actually be a fun prequel. Just them as teenagers. Like (laughs) take it way back. Christian Slater's mutilating cats and like squirrels. John Favreau is getting yelled at by the ice cream man. I don't know like how that would. <laughs> John Favreau is getting molested by the ice cream man. Can, can I have, can I have vanilla? You're going to have chocolate now. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> so they're at the, oh, and one of my favorite things about this wedding scene isn't any of the drama that happens. It's that one like old lady 
who can't get comfortable on her chair because he never fixed the chair situation. He never got pads for the chairs. I forgot about that because she asks him, she's like, did you fix the chairs? And they're like, it's, it's the scene where he calls her cause he's drunk and he just wants to tell her how much he loves her. And she's like, did you, did you fix the chairs? And he's like, I called them three times. And she's like, you called them three times. Did you fix the chairs? It's like, I love you. <laughs> That's it. Like, he just ignores the question from then on. Basically. So um, we just talked about the will. Cameron so now Diaz we're back. Crazy. They're at the wedding. Yeah. So they're at the wedding. Um, and then we know Cameron Diaz is like sort of crazy, but at this point it's still kind of like bridezilla crazy. Like, well, I understand that she doesn't want to have her wedding ruined. This isn't important to her. Most people would probably take issue with a dead prostitute and security guard buried in the desert, but you know what? Maybe it's hormones. I don't know. Then we get back to the wedding and Christian Slater basically accosts John Favreau and starts asking him for money. He's like, I know Adam had money. I know that you are the beneficiary of his estate. I want those insurance dollars. And he, Show I mean, me the money. Basically. And then it turns into kind of a fist fight and Christian Slater is like, Beating the crap out of John Favreau. He's like about to choke him out. Sure. John Favreau's gonna die in this scene. And then all of a sudden Cameron Diaz comes in and picks up like a coat rack or something and just bashes Christian Slater in the face with it a few times. And he's like covered in blood and unconscious. So so if we're considering like Christian Slater like like a budding serial killer at this point, this has gotta be like his uh oh fuck, what's it called? His like rampage state. Because how are you gonna explain this one? He kills his friend at his wedding. All serial killers go through like this weird like fever pitch moment. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them where like they'll they'll be going. They'll just do it like once every couple of months, once a year, once a month. And then at some point there will be like a moment where they're just like boom, 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 back to back. It's usually when they get caught because they just like lose their shit and they can't control it and they just keep going. Yeah. And it's, it's it's like they they make bad decisions at this point. Like they're not like planning their shit anymore. They're just like, I just got to kill something. He's like a weird serial killer, though, because usually it's like demographic based. It's like, I want to kill blonde women between ages 25 and 30 or something. Well, movies movies always portray serial killers like differently. Like there's not like this this idea of like what their obsession is or their fantasy. And in, in movies, it's just I just like to kill things and they'll just do whatever. And there's no sexual motivation. There's no motivation in movies for why a serial killer is doing what they're doing. Or it's like classic tropes or something or plot specific kind yeah. of devices um okay anyway so he's about to choke the fucking shit out of john favreau john favreau's laying there on like the brink of death cameron diaz hits christian slater in the face with a coat rack and then she goes on this rant at first john favreau looks at her like oh thank you for saving me and she's like this is my day he's like honey what do we do she's like stick him in the crapper and get your ass out there she probably should have hooked up with boyd i mean they're both like nutballs who love to who apparently can compartmentalize anything and like more and more, she's like psychotic in general. Like if she wasn't already like an abusive, like kind of partner, like this just shows like, this is what he's in store for. Yeah. I don't know if that was like a metaphor for people getting super stressed around the times of their wedding or what, but I mean, that's not normal behavior. No, um, not a lot of her behavior was normal. So, so awkwardly enough, they managed to finish the wedding. Uh, there's a whole scene where they don't have the rings because they were actually on Christian Slater's character. So they have to go retrieve it from the body, but he's not actually dead. But then he's dead because he falls down the stairs. And this was a good wrap up for that, though, because, you know, I've been saying, how are they going to explain these things for that one? Like, sure, there's definitely way more blood than necessary. But because he fell down those stairs and they were looking for the rings and everybody's like, oh, yeah, where'd he go? 
and there's witnesses to him falling down the stairs, they kind of tie that one up pretty easily. That was an accident. They don't report that, though, because they're going to bury his body in the fucking desert. That's like, true. Three hours also, later. That makes no sense. How did they get the body out of there? It was in the middle of a stairwell in a room with like 150 people. Anyway, uh, suspension of disbelief aside, the guy with the glasses who I like refused to learn his name for some reason, he, John Favreau, and oh, God, the dog is in the car, right? Because she says, take care of yes. that fucking dog, too, while you're at it. He's like, you want me to kill the dog? She's like, yeah, and kill your yeah. friend. He's in our way. Well, this is the thing that makes no sense, because it's not only that. It's not only that. She was like... She didn't like his friends anyway, though. She didn't like where the bodies were. Like She was like, yeah, go hide those bodies better. And I'm like, why would you move them? <laughs> the whole time, I'm like, why would you... Like, on top of it, she's like, take Boyd, bury him. Take them, dig them up, put them somewhere else. Like, there's like so many steps. Like, why did they? I mean, need to I move get them? that because that's like an aesthetic thing. That's like feng shui, you know. It's just like it's not jiving with me right now. I feel like they need to be more Western than they are currently. Exactly. Like, you don't put a body in your foyer. You put your a body in maybe the basement, like the leftmost corner of the kitchen. I don't know. Like, listen, people go missing in the desert every day. Yeah, I've never been to the desert. I've always wanted to see the desert. I'd probably just get there and be like, yep, there it is. This conversation, though, if we go to the desert, people are going to have concerns. <laughs> they'll be like, they'll just, they'll just plan better. They were just, they mostly just talked shit that Christian Slater was too, too, uh, oh, fuck. What's the word for like someone that just does things without thinking about them? But like, yeah, so they're going to be like, so they're just going to go out there and kill a prostitute and see if they can do it better. Okay, so she takes, he's out there with his friend. They're burying the bodies. Uh, the dog's walking around. Um, the guy with the glasses is currently like in the hole, putting the last touches on like how deep this hole in the desert needs to go. Uh, when John Favreau, John Favreau, who at this point has murdered none people, is trying to hype himself up to murder his last friend. <laughs> and uh, the the. I want to say his name was Leland because of you, but I don't know if that's it. But anyway, uh, she called him like Mort or something, something Mort. I feel like she, that's what it sounded like. She said anyway, so they make eye contact and he's like, oh shit, this is, this is what's happening. Like he has that, that moment of realization and then it cuts to black and you're like, oh shit, he killed his friend and that dog. But then they're in the car together and his last name was Moore. They were calling him Moore. His name is Charles Moore. Moore. Charles Moore. Okay. So Moore, Moore and John Favreau's character, uh, they, I, I'm assuming killed the dog because the dog's not in the car with them, but they're on their way back. The dog's in the car. Oh, he is? I did not see it. But all right. So they're on their way back. Uh, clearly, Cameron Diaz's character is going to be really upset. Moore is going on about how, no, wait, was that before this? Sorry. While they were digging the hole, yeah. he was like, I want to join that big brother program. I want a black one. I feel like yeah. a lack of racial integration is really one of the problems plaguing our society. Don't you agree? And like, while he's saying this, John Favreau is like rearing back with like the shovel to, you know, crush him. Yeah, that's right. So they're, they're silently riding back after burying their friend and reburying the prostitute and the bodyguard. And we're going to get in trouble for saying the word prostitute so many times. She was um, a prostitute. I don't like people are offended by that word these days. Oh, can we watch Frankenhooker one day? Can that be a thing? Sure. Bill Murray said it was the best movie of the century. Really? <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> they're on their way back. And then 
I don't know what this was. This this I had questions about because I kind of felt like it was purposeful. But uh when he drifted into like oncoming traffic. Yeah, because they have like this what like they have like a moment where they both look like they're just like over it. Like this is it's too much. They're done. Uh this is not the life they signed up for. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere they have a head-on collision with and the part that made me think it was on purpose was because uh who went through the windshield? I was assuming it was John Favreau. No, more went through the windshield. More? Okay. So he goes through the windshield and you know, you assume they're dead. So I, I assumed he did this as like a, a last ditch suicide slash do what he asked his wife asked him to do type moment. And uh, he didn't he didn't look like he was falling asleep either. It, it, he was like no, awake. Looked, they just looked really stressed out, like both of them. He might like, have been daydreaming. Moore but... was like, you just tried you wanted to kill me. So there was like a moment of like upset, like my friend just tried to kill me. But he didn't ultimately. Yeah. But John Favreau had like this look of like disappointment, like he's going to be in trouble when he gets home. I don't know what that was. For whatever reason, I was thinking about Scream when I said that. Anyway, so Nora goes through the windshield. And then the car is just kind of left there and it kind of transitions to and it doesn't say like a few weeks later or a few months later, but it's implied. And it transitions to a shot of Cameron Diaz cleaning a cabinet in the kitchen, wearing a smock, looking kind of haggard, for lack of a better word. And doing stuff that, uh, based off her character throughout the whole movie, wasn't her thing. Like, she doesn't look like she'd be the type to be taking care of the house. No, not at all. Especially with how she treated John Favreau. She would have been walking on him. Exactly. But we hear John Favreau talking outside. So he says something like, show me the badger salute. So it's implied that he's talking to Adam's kids. And we know he's not dead. How about like just like the the sheer um, like defeat that you hear in his voice during this part, though? He sounds weird. Yeah. Like his a entire... man whose his entire spirit's been crushed and his life is like ruined. Yeah, kind of. He sounded like George McFly before like Marty goes back and changes things. Yeah. And so they go outside and Moore is there with him. It's him and his two kids. And he's in a wheelchair with two stubby legs. Uh, and then more, more is like quadriplegic and he's got that wheelchair that you, you control with your mouth. Which is ironic because he was trying to kill a quadriplegic man in the bone collector. Nice. What? <laughs> that should be easy. Uh... <laughs> well, he still failed. So anyway, yeah, he more more is quadriplegic, like controlling himself by you know breathing into a also, straw. That's what is he doing? <laughs> spinning around in a fucking circle. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming it was just meant to look like chaos in this scene. But like oh, yeah. more had no reason for what he was doing. I don't think maybe he was just learning how to control it. I don't know. So and maybe. then oh, and then one of the the kid on the crutches falls down. John Favreau falls out of the wheelchair after him to try and help him. And it's just like super awkward in every way. Oh no, yeah, and the best part of the kid's like, these are my crutches, get your own. <laughs> and then, oh, did you, the dog, the dog was hopping around the yard with three fucking legs. The dog lost a, a leg in the accident. Oh shit, I didn't even notice. I kept forgetting the dog existed. The dog was not an important character in my mind. The dog was just like, like the cherry on top for it me. It was there to show that Cameron Diaz was a bitch, that's all I <laughs> And then Cameron Diaz sees all this and she's like, got like, I don't know, a toilet brush hanging off her hand and a sponge in one hand. And she just starts like sobbing and walking away from the house and like walks out to the middle of the street. And then it just kind of ends with her like screaming up to the heavens, like in the middle of the street. 
and the camera zooms out. And I always expected her to get hit by a car there, but it didn't happen. How about how about like right before that though, when like the one the one kid that's not disabled in any way, like the one person that's like fine now, is looks at her. He goes, "Did you clean the shitter yet?" Or whatever. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> the kid like busts her balls. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was only fourteen thousand dollars. They should have said no to that and the kids, because fuck, yeah. you know. Can you deny? Can you deny that? I don't feel like somebody can force you to raise their children. Like I gave these to you. These are yours now. Nobody can force you to accept a gift. All right. So overall, this was a great movie. Pretty ridiculous. Over the top. Definitely a movie you want to watch if you're about to get married. Mostly to probably have your wife not act like that. That's a weird way to put that. Okay. So you put too much pressure on me. This is going to happen. I'm going to go to Vegas with my friends, kill prostitute, come back. You're going to have your whole wedding ruined. Make me go out, rehide the bodies. I'm going to be paraplegic. Everybody's going to be unhappy. Yeah. Is that what you want? Don't you want me to have legs? Like, fuck. Um, so I think that's the takeaway. No, the, the takeaway is just be nice, honestly. Cause if like everybody in this movie just wasn't a dick or like did the right thing, there would have been no movie. Like if they called the police in the very beginning, that's the takeaway. just be nice. Yeah. I that's the, the takeaway. takeaway. I, I think actually, I think the takeaway is don't kill strippers. Think about how many movies would have been like non-existent if, if people had just been nice, like hostile wouldn't happen, you know? Motel Hell wouldn't happen. I don't know, man. I mean, that one, I don't know. That one, maybe. That man was feeding his family in his town. You can imply that that was being nice. Yeah, he actually never um, distributed his meats outside of a 100-mile radius because he wanted to make sure to maintain quality. See? He was taking care of the people around him, and he was trying to be uh, humane in how he took them out. If anything, he... Let's get back on topic. all right overall a lot of favorite scenes in this movie i love the scene where they're holding the door i love the scene where lois bites boyd's crotch and i just love how ridiculous everything is at the end including the three-legged dog probably my favorite character in the entire movie what about you uh i love this too it's hilarious um i love the crotch biting scene too that i completely forgot was in there until i watched it now probably because again i watched it as a kid and certain things go over your head when you're young I think the only thing that messed me up was just the fact that like I have this weird problem with like everything and trying to add some semblance of actual reality to it. And the time frame makes no sense in my mind and the lack of any kind of like legal anything. The cops show up like one or two times to ask questions, but that's about it. I think you just need to let it go. This was your same problem with come to daddy. It was it's suspension of disbelief. Weird, implausible shit is going to happen in movies. For the sake of advancing the plot. And we just have the to let that go. The police would be more involved. I can't help it. So anyway, so that's my only that's my only takeaway is like that's the only downside that I have. This movie is awesome. You should watch it. But just know that the police in this city or town or wherever the fuck they are are like fairly inconsistent. Anywho, I'm gonna give it a three out of four beards because it's a classic. I will give it a two and uh Eight tenths of a beard. So he's going to give it two and a half beards. No, two and eight tenths. Why wouldn't you just say four two, fifths? Do you two, not know how to do lowest common denominator? No, I was bad at math. <laughs> so you're asking me math problems. Like, be happy that I came up with what I came up with. 
Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bearded B-Roll and look for us anywhere you find podcasts. Check out our website, beardedbroll.com, for info and links to merch. And remember to email us with ideas and suggestions at beardedbroll at gmail.com. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts? Strippers are people too. And don't do drugs. No, that's not.